Welcome to a quick mini-sode. Mini-sode. River Heights Radio mini-sode. River Heights Radio mini-sode. They did you wrong, Miss Allison. Or is it Mrs. Allison? There go my chances. <laughs> In the original The Haunted Bridge, Miss Allison was Miss Allison. But I don't think it's really good for our readers to see a single woman owning and selling land. It's one of the few changes they made between the two editions to make her Mrs. instead of Miss, which makes her relationship with Roach even stranger. Yeah, as if your personal faint handler wasn't strange enough. Uh, <laughs> now you have an invisible secret husband to have to uh contend with she clearly faces at least the normal dose of nancy drew sexism and as a property owner is pretty much portrayed as not being capable of making selling decisions yeah mrs allison definitely not the first villain to be a woman and definitely not the first villain to be minimized in her role we've seen a lot of women working for other men or working on other teams mrs allison is maybe Maybe the first that played a lead role in her villainy, but we still get her being talked down to and condescended at quite a bit. Yeah, and the fact that she has command over Ray makes her look worse as a woman. So we've got Mrs. Allison trying to sell her land to a golf course. I do feel like she's the first woman we've seen refusing to sell where we've empathized more with the person trying to buy from her than with her. Isn't that interesting? Typically, if you're trying to buy land and they won't sell it to you, that's when you cut the phone lines and and haunt the place. But this gentleman just has to shake his head at her and say, oh, your intuitions and your belief in the divine are ridiculous. They're not Methodist. Go ask Carson Drew. He'll tell you. Yeah, you got to refer to a man to make your property decisions the number one thing we see even in that scene is religious bias she's chosen to align herself with some very stylized version of hinduism a hinduism that's mixed with astrology mysticism 1920 spirituality everything protestantism doesn't like but romanticizes is a woman who knows where her mercury's at and this is why she is not a reliable land seller right this isn't a fun trait of mrs allison this is a flaw and maybe even a kooky trait nevertheless tolerated it is something that aligns her with ray and rishi who also are regarded as superstitious and whose religious beliefs are looked down on. Ray may well be Hindu or religious in that way, uh, but it's regarded as superstitious. Rashi is just superstitious, and Mm. it's given the same weight as any of it. Mm. And Mrs. Allison has concocted her own blend of superstition and religion, but none of them are given any difference in their weight. I read an article, Hinduism in America, by Amanda Lucia, who has a few different articles that I read for the purposes of this mini-sode, and she discussed how Hinduism as a term is kind of debated just from a base level, because Hinduism is a term that came to us from British missionaries. It's a term they coined, not that the people who held beliefs we associate with Hinduism. It's the same type of colonialist map making that we've done all over the world, but for philosophies. So some people say we shouldn't call it Hinduism because that's just the British Christian term for it. Mm -hmm. Other people say, well, it's just a descriptive term for all the religions in that area, which are diverse, but 
kind of fall under the region versus the specific religion. Other people maybe fall in a more complex light. Amanda Lucia quoted Brian Pennington as saying, the historical role of the colonizer was not to invent Hinduism, either by blunder or design, but to introduce an economy of concepts and power relations that dramatically enhanced the value of such identity markers. Really drawing those maps in philosophy to say, well, this is what you are, and now it's useful to us. Hinduism was only as acceptable as it lined up with Protestantism in the American imagination. Lucia says, American publications and popular opinions oscillated between disgust and fascination, condemnation and attraction, disavowal and allure. In so much as Hinduism was portrayed as monotheistic or accepting of all religions or seeing truth everywhere, it felt not threatening. It felt like maybe they were just a little confused and it was just a slightly different form of Christianity. But anything other than that was regarded with suspicion. Much of the impression that Americans had, obviously, for most of history of what Hinduism was, came to them through British and American missionaries. Right. So specifically through a Christian Protestant, like, lens. It's like one of those old drawings of a giraffe where the artist (laughs) has only heard about it. Yes. It's just not what is actually happening. Yeah, these missionary accounts tended to be very sensationalist. Especially since they're specifically trying to draw a juxtaposition to their own faith and probably be dismissive of the real tenets that these people were holding to. Maintain superiority and continue to drum up public support for their missionary work slash funding for their missionary work. So It's It's a tough business, that God business. Even the experts that existed about Hinduism often conflated it with mysticism or Buddhism and kind of just mixed these ideas all together and this Ralph Waldo Emerson and Thoreau were interested in transcendentalism and mysticism and studied Hinduism but they would conflate it with Buddhism and Thoreau found out that even though America loved to consume his romanticized versions of Hinduism when he wrote something regarding it as a, a valid religion Anything on to equal be taken seriously. footing yeah. with Christianity, that was not received well. Of course, yeah. As long as it's novel, it's acceptable. Mrs. Allison says things like, I have read it in the sands of time, or I'd rather consult the stars. Right. Here enter Mrs. Allison, the avatar mm. for the belief that mysticism and Hinduism and all of India is the same thing. She sits down with the professor to discuss India. Right. Now he is an expert on India. He calls her as an expert on India. And what's the first thing she says? I understand you're interested in mysticism. Bess probably sums up what the general public would have thought of Mrs. Allison's religion. Hit it with us, Bess. She says, she's spooky. (laughs) Reincarnation means that after you die, you'll be reborn as another person or animal, doesn't it? I'll probably be a goat. 
George chuckled. So it's a funny idea to these people, but also a scary idea that even reincarnation might exist. I think George is just aware of her many sins. They are so very bored and put off by Nancy even listening to this woman. Right. That they just wander away. Well, and even Mrs. Allison does it too in her conflations. When she speaks to Nancy Drew, she says, Oh, you'll be reborn as the wife of a grand Raja. There's just no reason to make these weird thematic connections. Like, oh, you'll probably be Indian. Because you know what I love? Mysticism. Yes, it's it's a true affection for India. And an affectation for Mrs. Allison. I never knew Nancy was so interested in psychic things. Right, that's what they say, isn't it? Mrs. Allison herself, though she is being discriminated against because of her beliefs is also obviously a very problematic character because she is very culturally appropriative. When we see Mrs. Allison wearing a long flowing white costume and turban, and earlier on when we saw Ray wear essentially the same outfit, saw the nightmares it produced in Nancy Drew, right. and the general suspicion cast upon him, certainly Mrs. Allison is not smiled upon for wearing this outfit. But it's almost played for laughs. It's a joke. It's a goof what she's doing or it's romantic even Mm. like a stylish beautiful thing that she's kind of kooky either way it certainly describes it as a costume she's inserted herself into india changed basically the entire political structure of a small town in india literally funded a coup like she was the cia yet speaks so warmly of india as the land of adventure and mystery and mystery though and i absolutely hate that because this romantic of India as a mysterious land can only be true if you pretend no one lives there. Like it's, it's a mystery to us, right? It's like me sitting in my house and being like, "Oh, the neighbor's house. What a what a house of mystery. Anything could be in there." Yeah, but like they live there, they probably know what's in that closet. So it it one hundred percent others, mm-hmm. and in fact marginalizes and dismisses the people who live there just to say, "Oh, how mysterious." The other article I read by Amanda Lee. Lucia, Dr. Amanda Lucia, so I don't know if she wasn't a doctor yet for the other article. Dang, Doc. Getting it. Um, was representation and whiteness among the spiritual but not religious. Interesting. And she talks about having attended many festivals and groups who are interested in Hinduism or yoga or meditation and how predominantly white all of these groups are oh yeah and not only are they predominantly white but they separate themselves from other groups and do not defer or refer to or include any south asian leadership and basically create their own forms of the culture they purport to adore and i think it's important to remember that without the leadership that in this case would be south asian or in other cases would be whoever is from that culture you are basically a group that celebrates the look of the culture or the feel of the culture but cannot celebrate the culture because the culture is part of the people the culture isn't just the things you do it's not just something for you to consume exactly or try on exactly and without someone who's involved in that culture you're not celebrating the culture she talks about how new age is exotifying and appropriating non-western forms of spirituality she quotes veronique altglass who says exoticism emphasizes and to a certain 
certain extent elaborates the otherness of groups, locations, ideas, and practices. Even if it seems appreciative, and even if we find the otherness exciting and fun, we are still othering in a really hard way with exoticism. <laughs> Dr. Lucia said something that really resonated with me. What she found by and by large were really well-meaning people, and optimistic people would say they were trying to leave whiteness behind or find a way outside of the structure that's been established. Interesting. But she said, non-Western religious forms become spiritual solutions to the crisis of ennui and disenchantment in late capitalist modernity, precisely because they are imagined to exist outside of its confines. Oh, that's so fascinating. Absolutely. But Hinduism in America, just like any religion in America, exists within America. Well, and nothing in the world exists outside of the influence of colonialism and capitalism at this point. Yes. And especially when you see it packaged and sold, how could such a thing exist outside of the thing packaging and, and selling it? Basically, white people use these spiritualities as a form of escapism mm. and, of course, as a way to transform themselves or grow themselves. Australian Aboriginal scholar Eileen Moreton Robinson calls this white possessivism the seemingly ubiquitous expression of white claims to access and entitlement. I mean, absolutely. This thing exists, so it probably exists exists for me to better myself and my situation. Dr. Lucia concludes that these white communities, even though they have a profound affinity for Indic culture, that does not translate into collaborative politics of friendship and or partnership with South Asian people and their communities. That's interesting. This is not at all about connecting to another culture. This is about taking something from that culture and making it your own. I like that we're talking about people who were giving the absolute benefit of the doubt, assuming the best of their intentions. Because Mrs. Allison, we probably couldn't say that for. She's not necessarily someone who's in this, in the hope to escape capitalism. No, though we don't really know her backstory and what she may be trying to escape. Depending on what time period we put her in the context and she could have been associated with New Age, she could have been associated with just the fringes. She could have been associated with the hippies who experimented with different ideas and tried to be countercultural. Whatever she was associated with, this necessarily made her suspicious that she was dabbling in under other religions. So mm -hmm. it would be impossible to say she somehow escaped religious bias through being white, but she certainly escaped some of the ramifications. I do think that it is also, without knowing her background, impossible to know how she came upon her current religious beliefs or how coherent those beliefs even are, because it does seem to be all tied up in what I think is the real injustice to this character, which is mental health stigma. Right, absolutely. Whatever she has going on in her mental health has certainly increased her obsession with Indian culture and is part and parcel of her her inability to extricate herself from or maybe even choose the extent 
to which she identifies with Indian culture. She truly has some sort of disorder that's it's truly disrupting her life. The stigma that she receives for this is unfortunately consistent throughout countries and throughout eras. Like to not be mentally healthy is seen as shameful and you are lesser and there's even self-shame. You may value yourself less and then there's certainly institutional stigmatism where laws are not set up in your favor so it certainly seems with mrs allison that the ways in which she's portrayed as being unwell are seen by others as perhaps moral failings yes rather than personal obstacles yes there's not a lot of empathy or sympathy for Mrs. Allison. Get comfortable in that armchair because it's time for an armchair diagnosis. I personally am not a psychologist and I know you are not either. And were Mrs. Allison a real person versus a character, I would not sit here and try to in an armchair way trying to diagnose her. However, as a character, I feel that there's a pretty good argument that Carolyn Keene, the character she portrays, does seem to exhibit many of the symptoms of dissociative identity disorder, which has already been portrayed with fascination in a way that is highly inaccurate, sensationalist, and portrays people with dissociative identity disorder as dangerous. Right, this isn't Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde here, but (laughs) there's some clues. Yes, and dissociative identity disorder is also known as multiple personality disorder. I'm just gonna go through the symptoms now. Mrs. Allison exhibits blackouts. After they got the diamonds, having had no idea what happened. She certainly has memory gaps. She also faints quite often. She even asks Nancy when she has her psychic episodes whether she remembers what happens. I think it's a hint that Mrs. Allison might think it's normal to have those kinds of gaps. Yeah, when she comes to at one point, they say it is clear that the incident had left no impression on her mind. Certainly fainting we have multiple times. The situation that she's in overwhelms her and she loses consciousness to the point where she has a personal you know faint butler whether she's at nancy drew's house just seeing an object that sparks heavy emotional trauma or escaping half burnt down house none of that emotional trauma is treated with any sympathy her house burns down and hannah's literally like oh good thing they go and see her amongst the wreckage of her burnt down home and there's no amount of like maybe she's acting unreasonably because she just suffered a major loss no selfish is what it's called a moral failing she also experiences trances yes uh she in fact divulges all sorts of information to nancy while completely what would you call that out of it they describe it as stupor or semi-stupor that's right we already kind of touched on this but she has high anxiety doesn't deal well with stress far past just her heightened reactions to emotional stress in her day-to-day she is seen as as a what they would call flighty or nervous woman then she certainly tries to self-harm or she, i mean getting past the fact that she rushes into a burning house she literally throws herself from a bridge at one point and begs nancy who's saving her to just let her drown they describe it 
as a dangerous jump that she does. And then she says to Nancy, let me drown, let me drown, and fights Nancy as Nancy is trying to save her. I I think that's enough to put you in front of a therapist. We've all wanted to fight Nancy Drew, but that's not the time. When we first see Mrs. Ellison going into a trance, it's described as a strange expression came over her face. Bess says, that woman gives me the creeps. There's definitely this fear of Mrs. Allison and of her clear mental health symptoms. Yeah, good inclusiveness, Beth. Thank you for that. <laughs> Nancy and her father think the woman is selfish. selfish. Yep. They're trying to help her get her jewels out of the burning remains of her basement. And at one point, the ceiling falls in. Right. And I myself cannot say that I would not have a complete panic attack under those circumstances. And that's essentially what happens. She sobs hysterically. She's convinced they're going to die there. The hysterics have deep history in misogyny. Hysterics coming from the same root word as hysterectomy, meaning related to the uterus. It was once believed that women would have heightened emotions of hysterics because their uterus was wandering around their body. Though things can be hysterical today, when we refer to someone acting hysterically or in hysterics emotionally, we're going right back to that root. And every one of these things, a hysterical person, a selfish person, a creepy person, are moral failings. We pin on Mrs. Allison basically for her mental health issues. Yeah. The last straw for Mrs. Allison after all of this is when George drops her box of jewels and they go spilling everywhere. Mrs. Allison, who's already been in a heightened state of anxiety at this point, clearly checks out. Bess says, what's the matter with her? I never saw anyone act like this before. She basically just gets a faraway look in her eyes and she's also described at this point as spooky again. She's acting troublingly. Maybe she just sucks. If someone represents sort of the lens of patriarchy in the Nancy Drew books, it would be Carson Drew. Yeah. And we get a real clear picture of what Carson Drew thinks of all this in this passage. As minutes passed, you know, full minutes. Okay. Jeez, Mrs. Allison, that's 60 seconds each. And Mrs. Allison made no effort to rouse herself from the state of semi-stupor. Carson Drew became impatient. He was inclined to believe that the woman made no effort to control her nerves and actually tried to create highly emotional scenes. So we see this tendency to blame people with mental health problems or with anxiety for their own symptoms. If they just tried harder, they wouldn't have this happen. Right. Uh, Carson Drew's standing there going, you know how often I wished I could sink into a semi-stupor? Yeah. But I don't. Mm. I pull myself up by my brain straps. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, this is also involved in what we've said before in them thinking she's selfish. Mm -hmm. Because people with mental health problems are seen as being selfish or wanting attention. Anything other than, hmm, maybe they have a disorder. Maybe they are ill. Or maybe they are just not like me. For crying out loud, at least check them for a concussion. Yeah. Check back for a different minisode for that. Yes. So even though they keep trying to talk to her and ask her what bank and things like this, it, the book says, the strange woman paid no attention. The strange, spooky, creepy woman. She's clearly a, a villain. 
And she's clearly a problematic person, if we assume she's a real person. <laughs> However, she also is very clearly treated with extreme bias by every other character she interacts with the whole novel. The most interesting clue about how people interact with mental health in this book is when they're asking each other how they thought Mrs. Allison might have gotten involved in this whole thing to begin with. Carson, seemingly unironically, offhandedly says maybe she was under a spell the first time that magic has been used as a possible out for a villain. But I think it really speaks to the interesting way that we've looked at mental disorders throughout history. We've blamed supernatural or magic, whether it's people being vampires or people being spellstruck being possessed voodoo zombie you know whatever yeah whatever we want to call these exotic ways in which we assume the reason someone isn't reacting to things the way we find socially acceptable for a long time we've blamed that on some sort of supernatural thing so i find it very interesting the thing is that if she was put under a spell she's actually seen more favorably but the more likely thing is that she dabbled in something she shouldn't have and ended up under a spell of course the sp- yeah the spell's somehow her fault too even if we say some power outside of her is making her do this it's her fault to begin with that that power took control of her if she had a higher constant you know she would have passed that saving throw and would have never been under a spell to begin with carson drew you can't you can't beguile him he's got a wisdom and constitution score that are very high it is interesting though that while carson drew holds very harsh opinions and best as representative of his basically the female voice holds very harsh opinions of mrs allison we don't get a lot of insight from nancy drew herself though of course nancy drew is contrasted constantly with mrs allison as the one who always keeps her head never lets her nerves get away from her never isn't the calm source of reason however you just don't see nancy drew having any sort of like real judgment towards mrs allison other than some fear of her being dangerous which is valid as she does attack dr stackpole from nancy drew's perspective this woman is a source of information for her she doesn't immediately stop listening when she talks she treats her with some amount of empathy tries to calm her down when she's panicking reassures her that her treasures will be okay and when she describes mrs allison's stupor to her dad afterwards she says i don't believe mrs allison is entirely herself she's been talking wildly dad so we get another perspective on mental health in nancy's view which is sort of more kind honestly but this idea that you're not quite yourself when you're maybe having a mental health episode and she even goes so far as to say we should go and repeat the information to her i just don't really think she got it there just seems to be a very practical and empathetic side to nancy here where she's saying this person's still human and is still struggling in some way yeah and nancy also does literally save her life and doesn't resent really the fact that she tried to take it. It, It's interesting how they inadvertently sort of have Nancy Drew be the most, the most open-minded person, open-minded person about this. Even then she does judge her as selfish and villainous and this sort of thing. Yeah. So in the end, this is a woman who attacked Dr. Stackpole, appropriates Indian culture, funded a coup and did 
kidnap a child. I don't know how much we can defend her. I think she has a pretty good chance at an insanity plea if the, the courts were fair. One way or the other, we can agree. Mrs. Allison, they did you wrong. Thanks for tuning in to another River Heights radio minisode. I'm Carl. And I'm Hope. Until next time, go, go Wildcats. Wildcats.